I'm excited because we're going to start a new series. We're going to talk about 2 Timothy for a while. And um, so I hope you'll read it and kind of study it with me. Um, I'm very encouraged about it. But before I go into that, I just want to encourage you to be a part of the weekend of January 31st, that Sunday. So come to one of our services online here or outside because um, we're going to take some of that service to do our family meeting. The elders have some things that we want to update you on. And so that's going to just be an exciting time. I think, I think you'll, um, you'll want to be a part of that weekend in some form. So don't miss the 31st. Um, I want to ask you a question. If, if you could get a personal letter to you, obviously, from anyone in the world today or from history, who would you like to get a personal letter from? And I don't mean a form letter, you know, like we all get those where, you know, where it has your name in it and, and it's signed, but you know that the guy actually isn't writing to you or the woman isn't writing to you. It's a form letter. I'm talking about an actual personal letter. Who would you like to get a letter from? Jot it out. Go ahead. Jesus? Okay. Anybody else? Corey Tenboom? Who else? Pretty quiet today. Lou Gehrig. Cool. So, yeah, there's, it, it's cool to get a really personal letter. Now, you go out to the mailbox, and, you know, I, I get mostly junk mail, but it's nice to go out to the mailbox and actually have a personal letter. Well, that's what we're going to study, is a personal letter. And we're going to look at what... Paul has to say to Timothy, and we're going to explore that, begin to explore that this morning. But before we do, would you pray and just ask the Lord to show you something from his word this morning? He's the teacher here, and so just ask Jesus to teach you, and then um, I'll pray for us. Father, thank you. that we have your word. And Lord, as we begin to study uh, 2 Timothy, I just really ask that you would open our eyes to see the lessons that we need to learn from it. And this morning, as we begin to think through this book and and learn some of the first lessons, I, I just ask that we would be hearers of what you are saying to us, each of us, and that we would know the next step to take. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, the book begins this way. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus. You, you know the ancient letter writing, you started with the from. Sometimes you don't know who a letter's from. You know how you have to look like the second or third page. It's like, who actually signed this? Or you have to scroll down and go in the email to know who it's from sometimes. Well, in ancient writings, you started with the from instead of the to. And so right away, we know this is from Paul. But notice how he identifies himself. He says, an apostle. So right away, we know something unique about Paul. Now, I think this is apostle with the capital A. We know that there were some leaders in the church, 
people who, men who saw Jesus risen, who were called apostles, and much of the New Testament comes directly from a connection to them. That not everything that was written, you know, in those times is scripture, but some things were. So I think this is one of the, he's writing in that context. But here's what's interesting. If you skip ahead to verse 11, Paul says, he's talking about the gospel, and he says, I was an appointed a, a, a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. So he knows his gifting in his roles. Now, here I think we could also look at this apostle. See, I still think that gift exists, but it's not capital A apostle like writing scriptures. It's an apostolic kind of gift because if you look at Paul's ministry, it was about starting the church where it didn't exist. It was about taking the gospel message to a place that hadn't heard it before. And he was motivated by that. And it seems that that apostolic kind of gifting is a starting kind of gifting. And I think that's still around today. Again, not writing scripture, but that kind of beginning gift. And so I think what Paul, <coughs> excuse me, what he's saying here in terms of being appointed according to the gospel is that that he has these roles. And so the other is preacher. And you shouldn't think preacher like pulpit and you know, that kind of preacher. You should think herald, a proclaimer. Because again, often he was going to places that didn't have a church, didn't have a community, didn't have believers, and he's announcing news, much like a herald would come into a town and say, hey, these are the things that are happening in the world today. So he was a herald, and then he was obviously a teacher. But he understands all of that he says he is these things, an apostle, according to the will of God. So God had designed him for this role. Think about Paul's history. He was a Pharisee. So that meant he had extensive knowledge of the Old Testament. He was grounded in the scriptures. And he could write and read. And, and so therefore we have the benefit. All of these letters in the New Testament that are his letters come from that background, that rich background of knowing the word and knowing God's, the, the big story, and then the work that Jesus has done in his life. So there's this beautiful picture of Paul doing what he does by God's will. And I want you to think about the fact that each of us similarly has that work of God in our lives to bring us to the spot where you are today to be something for him. We're going to talk more about that in a minute. So Paul says that he was, he was a, a, an apostle by the will of God, so God had brought him to this point. And then he talks about according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus. I love that. The promise of life in Christ Jesus. The, the offer we have the gospel, the good news that we have is an offer of living life in Jesus Christ. It's an abundant life. That's what Jesus said. I've come that you might have life abundantly. It is the good life. What's sad is that in our culture, in, in American culture, the good life is often attributed or described in what you have, your possessions, or your status, or your wealth, or your Instagram followers. You know, you have the good life. But if you think about what a truly good life is, 
in terms of doing good, you know oftentimes it doesn't come with wealth. There are people who we would say they have a really good life and they aren't wealthy. And certainly Paul's good life carried with it a good deal of suffering. He spent more time on the beach because of a shipwreck than he did because of sunscreen and a beach chair. And so as we think about life in Jesus, we're talking about a life that's filled with meaning and purpose. And we're filled a life that's filled with the joy and delight of who God is and knowing God. That's the offer that we have. It's an offer of real life in the power and the presence of Jesus Christ. So that's what this is all about. So that's just in the first verse as Paul says, hey, I'm writing to you and this is who I am. Not that Timothy didn't know that. So then we get to Timothy. Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, Paul and Timothy knew each other, and they've known each other for a while. So let me give you just kind of a little background. So you know that Paul became a believer, you know, pretty early on in the book of Acts. And so sometime in the 30s, after, after um, 30s A.D., And then what was going on is as that ministry began to happen, one of the struggles was, do Gentiles have to become Jews? Do they have to follow all the Jewish practices? And there was this big council, and it's recorded in Acts 15 in Jerusalem, where all the apostles were there, like the the original disciples were there, and they had this big, big kind of discussion and debate and, and seeking God together, like what is the requirement on the Gentiles? This really was important for what the church was going to look like. And they decided, no, they don't have to become Jewish in all of their practices. They need to be moral, you know, that fathers of Jesus should be moral. They should follow the the principles of the law in terms of morality. But they don't have to follow all the dietary practices and all those kinds of things. So after that, there was kind of like this unleashing of the church. And so there were even more, more efforts made to help Gentiles come to know believers. Not that they didn't already exist, they had. Um, but Paul goes back to the churches that they had started. He, and remember, they went on a missionary journey and they went through what's now Turkey and, and established churches. Well, they went back through that region and he meets Timothy in Lystra. And Timothy is a young man, he is a believer. He is obviously a person of character. And so Paul invites him to come with them. And so you see through the book of Acts, you'll see Timothy's name pop up. And he was with Paul when he began ministries. And then he was sent by Paul to go back to churches to kind of help them. And, you know, you need to think about this because in our culture, church planting often means starting a church meeting and and attracting people who are already believers to it. And that's not how it worked in, in, in the first century. What happened is you went to places where nobody knew about Jesus and you told them about Jesus. And as they became followers, you, you gathered them and created a Christian community. And so Timothy is witnessing all of that. He's seeing that happen. He's with Paul throughout uh, these journeys and he's engaged in ministry with him. And so Paul calls him my beloved son. They have that kind of, they kind of have that mentoring relationship, that kind of deep relationship. And it's forged, this relationship is really forged because not just that they knew each other or were friends, but they actually ministered together. 
I want you to think about who, who are the people you are closest to. You know, oftentimes when we serve with someone, when we work together with someone, especially like on a missions trip or in a missions enterprise, we grow closer to them. We get to know them in some fresh and new ways, which is why we encourage us as a community, as our life groups, and to think in terms of worship and community and mission. Like We worship Jesus, we lift up the name of Jesus, but not just with singing, we lift him up in our, with our lives. Like worship is about what we give in what we, what, how we act and how we conduct our lives. Think about Romans 12, 1 and 2, where he talks about your body as a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable service of worship. So we worship, we have community, we draw close to one another, and then mission. And when you go on mission with people, you get to know them. And so um, Paul and Timothy had that. Timothy had experienced ministry with Paul, and so they were close. And he says to him, grace, mercy, and peace. And it would be quick, you know, we could just blow past that and go, hey, well, that's just a greeting, you know, hello, grace, mercy, and peace. But I don't think we should. And so let's just kind of pause and think about these words as a blessing. Think about these words as words that you might want to receive. So which of these is most attractive to you? Which, which one do you feel like maybe you need this morning more? Grace is God's active love toward us. It, it comes to us in the form of salvation. Very familiar verse in Ephesians, for by grace are you saved through faith. So we know that we don't earn our salvation. It's God's grace to us. But Paul also writes about how grace isn't just for our having our sins forgiven, about new life in Christ. It's also about how we live that life. So remember Paul, when he was, he was struggling with the thorn, with his weaknesses, God said, my grace is sufficient for you for power is perfected in weakness. So grace not only is how we come into new life, but it's how we live the life. Like God's grace is strong enough and big enough and rich enough to help you even in your weakest place to do the things that he asks you to do. God doesn't, doesn't leave you powerless. He empowers you to do the things that he asks of you to do. So grace is that beautiful activity of God in our life that's not because we've earned it. It's just his goodness expressed to us. Mercy is compassion. What, what stirs you deep to have pity on a situation? You know, there are pictures sometimes that you see. I, you know, every once in a while you'll see... Um, Someone has captured an oil spill, and you'll see animals that are saturated in, in oil, and it, it's pathetic. It, you're like, that's not a good thing. You want to do something about that. Or maybe you've heard an amber alert on your phone, and you know a child is at risk, and that, that we don't like that, that somebody should do something about that. There's a movement of compassion or, or pity or or emotion connected with that. And that's the kind of compassion God has on us. He sees us in our sinful 
us. He sees us trapped by patterns of sin and patterns of thought. He sees us in the futility of those ways and has mercy on us. He doesn't want that for us. He wants better for us. He wants life for us. And so he has compassion. He has mercy on us. And then peace The Greek word is Irene, the the Hebrew word is shalom. It's this overall sense of well-being. And it's not dependent on our circumstances. Peace peace that God wants to give, it's it's not a condition of our circumstances. It's a condition of our soul that's rooted in the nearness of God. As we pray, we learn about peace because we experience it because as we uh, pray, we are leaving the things that disrupt our peace. We are leaving the things we're worried about. We're leaving them with God. So grace, mercy, and peace, which of those would you say you need this morning? And and realize that God wants you to have those things. That these are not, these are not, oh man, I got to work really hard. I I, got to strive. No, these are things that God wants for you. He has mercy. He has grace. He wants to give you his peace. But I want you to think beyond that because, see, it's great to think about wanting those for ourselves, but Paul is blessing Timothy. He's saying, may grace be with you, may peace be with you, may mercy be with you. What would it be like for you to give grace and mercy and peace to your friends? Like, how would that translate into the way you treated them or how would that translate into the way you prayed for them if you had grace? I, I was trying to say last week, if you heard what I was talking about, is that in the polarization of our culture right now, it's hard to even have conversations because we react so quickly and so strongly. What, what, if, we, what if we gave grace to one another or had mercy on one another or worked out of peace in our own being toward one another. So what if we, what if we prayed grace and, and mercy and peace for our friends? And then maybe what if we prayed that for our neighbors or our coworkers and we thought about grace and mercy and peace toward them? And then could we go so far as to pray grace and mercy and peace on our enemies? on those that we disagree with or those that we think are opposed to us. See, these are the qualities, I think, of the life of Jesus that we are so rooted and confident in God's work that we can give grace and mercy and peace because we are secure in what God is doing in who he is and our relationship with him. So I love these blessings and I just I offer them to you as a thought for yourself to receive and as a thought to, for others for you to give. And then Paul says this. He says, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you even as I recall your tears so that I may be filled with joy. Now, the, the setting for this book is probably about 62 AD. So Paul and Timothy have known each other at least 10 years, probably a little bit longer than that. 
And as Paul's writing this, he is in a prison in Rome. And this is his, most think it's his second imprisonment. The first imprisonment, the one that kind of is at the end of the book of Acts, most think that he got out of that, like he was released. But then he was imprisoned again. And you'll see in this book that he is not expecting to get out of prison. He's expecting to be executed. And so when they left and parted, he may have wondered whether they would ever see each other again, although we'll see in this book that he invites and encourages Timothy to come to him. But what I love about this is even though Paul is imprisoned, it hasn't stopped his work for God. He's writing. He's praying night and day. He hasn't allowed the lockdown. He hasn't allowed his limitations to keep him from doing what God has called him to do. And just think about it. It's, we're 2,000 years later, and we're reading something. You know, he, he didn't have a Twitter account. He didn't have an email account. He didn't have a publicist. He didn't have a publishing house. He just had paper and parchment, I guess. And he wrote a letter, and we're looking at it today. He was faithful with what he had, and he prayed, and that was how he was filled with joy. What you and I need to do in, this, in the days ahead is we need to look for what are the opportunities we have. Yeah, there may be some things we can't do, but I think there are some things we can do. And I think we need to give thought to that, of how we can be a blessing, how we can interact with people in the ways that we can that are good, that make a difference for them. So as we, um, as we look at this book, I want to give you some suggestions for how you can begin to read it, because I think these are the things that we're going to uncover and discover together. First of all, I think Paul has something to teach us about life in Jesus. There is good life in Jesus. The Jesus way of life, living life in the kingdom. Paul has something to teach us about that. We see that even in his writing this letter from prison, not just shutting down, but continuing to be engaged in the work. I think Paul has something to teach us about dealing with difficulties and limitations. If anybody <laughs> had challenges in his life, it was Paul. You know, I don't know about you, but I get grumpy when things, you know, don't go the way I want them to. And yet Paul continued to serve God with a clear conscience. And then finally, I think Paul has something to teach us about living out our calling. Maybe you look at this book and go, oh yeah, that's one of those pastoral letters. You know, he's writing to Timothy. He's some kind of church leader. I'm, I'm not a church leader. Like, this isn't for me. And I beg to differ with you. Because you see, we kind of we read our culture back into the New Testament church. And the pastors and leaders of those churches didn't function like the typical kind of church structure we have in here where there's one pastor and and he does everything. Like that's, that's not how it works. Everybody has a gift. Everybody has a role to play. Everybody has something to offer. And as Paul is writing to Timothy, he is calling that out of Timothy. He is encouraging Timothy to do the things that God has gifted him and enabled him 
to do and the things that he has given him to do. And he helps him think that through. How do I go about this? And that's what I want to say to you. You need to read this not thinking, hey, I don't have this gift or I don't have that gift, so this book isn't for me. No, you need to think about this as what gifts do I have? How has God prepared me? What are the situations that he has put me in? How am I strategically placed for the kingdom of God to do the things that God asks of me? You have opportunity. It's just, are you asking God to show you that and allow you to walk into that? So I think Paul has something to teach us about living out our calling. My encouragement to you this morning is read this book with me, study it with me, and think about how God is leading you to function in the current environment that we are in. I think there is more, going to be more opportunity to share the good news of Jesus and why we have hope in the weeks and months and years ahead because of the fact that things have been disrupted the way they have. And if you and I demonstrate the love and peace and joy and grace that is in Jesus, we can give people hope because they can see it in us. And that's my exhortation to us, that we would study this book together and learn from Paul as he writes to Timothy. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much that we have a record of a letter written from a prison uh, 2,000 years ago, and that it still speaks today because your word is in it. You inspired it. So Lord, as we study Second Timothy, I pray that you would show us the things that we need to see, that we would be not just hearers of your word, but doers as well. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.